0: the book of Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13. Last week you will remember we considered together chapter 5. This morning I want to draw some big pictures or lessons from Revelation chapter 12 and some from Revelation 13. Our subject is war, war wall. So verse 1, Revelation chapter 12, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head Seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which he is to be nourished for twelve hundred and sixty days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, his angels were thrown down with him. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was caught, sorry, was given the two wings of the great eagle. Sorry, that is not the United States Air Force. Okay. The woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its head seemed to have a mortal wound but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, uh, verse 18 Verse 18, this calls for wisdom, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666, which by the way, the numerical value of, uh, if you're interested, is Nero himself, Nero in the first century. Now, let's go to chapter 17, some verses, verse 11 of chapter 17. Uh, chapter 17 verse 11 through verse 14 chapter 17 as for the beast that was and is not it is an eighth but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings that who have not yet received royal power but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast they are of one mind hand over their power and authority to the beast they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful may god bless to us the reading of his holy word let's pray together now father as we come into your holy presence to hear your word may the holy spirit give us understanding and wisdom and help for we live in troubled times and dangerous days and you have called us to be your people and here we are and we pray gracious god that as we consider this great passage before us that we might comprehend that we are your saints and that you have called us to be an enduring people, a persevering people, a believing people. Give us faith, now we should strengthen it in us, we pray, to face dark days, that we might, by the blood of the Lamb, conquer the dragon and the beast. Oh, how we thank you for your word. Help us now, we pray, by your spirit to grasp it. For we pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was the writer, Solomon, who, writing Ecclesiastes, the preacher, who said that of the making of books, there is no end. And frankly, of the making of war, there is also no end. Ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since Adam and Eve transgressed, The commandment of God ever since the fall of man there has been war among men we go to war with each other we kill each other we destroy each other and the world is rife in its history with all of those kinds of events some very despotic some very tragic some very quick and fast and now we find ourselves living in a world where once again war has broken out between countries Between nations, between men and women and boys and girls. This should not come as a surprise to us, yet I find it interesting that many Christians might be taken by surprise at the events that are transpiring in our world. But God has not called us to be fearful, he has called us to be faithful and as believers we are to stand firm on the Word of God and we're not to give in to the persuasions or illusions that we find in our world. This book of Revelation is no easy book to understand. Of that we are convinced. In fact, we began last week with an introduction to the worthy Lamb of Revelation chapter 5. And I gave you there a very broad picture, which I would like to continue this morning, from Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 13. A picture that I think and hope and pray will be complete in its introduction to the enemy of God's people and to the enemy of God himself. And every one of us, if we are Christians and believers, face this enemy. If we are not believers, if we are not Christians, then we are in the enemy's kingdom. We belong to him. It's just as plain and as simple as that. You're either in God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, or the kingdom of the dragon, the kingdom of this beast that we find portrayed here. When you come to the book of Revelation, you have to bear in mind that there are many symbols and uh, images that are given to us that are not easy to understand. And you will find if you talk to people that the variety of interpretations are immense and are great. One of the great dangers that we face in coming to the book of Revelation is that we might choose to ignore it. That we might choose to lay it aside because it's too difficult to comprehend. That would be a mistake. In fact, the Apostle John has been given this great revelation that is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that he might make known that revelation to seven churches. And so it is a mistake to ignore it. Then another great mistake that we might make is if we read contemporary history, current history and historical events into the book of Revelation, which is a common practice. And Christians seem to take great delight in interpreting the current events of the current day in the light of the book of Revelation. There's a great danger to that kind of interpretive approach. Well this is a, a book that is written to historical churches, seven of them, for a specific purpose. That Jesus reminds them through his servant the Apostle John that the time is near, the time is at hand, the time is short. In fact, We're told in this very chapter that as far as the dragon is concerned his time is also very short and so these are events that are pressing upon the seven churches of Asia Minor so long ago and one of the ultimate reasons why we have this great book right at the end of our Bibles is because it reminds us that God is in control of everything God controls all things, or to put it another way, what God starts, He finishes, He brings to an end, He brings to a completion, and God does that for a simple reason, God is in and of Himself, in His existence, absolute, He is sovereign, and we believe He controls all things, from eternity to eternity, including this world, with all of its history, including even today including even Ukraine and Russia and including ourselves in Sarasota. We believe that, we confess that, we acknowledge that. In fact in this great book, this great letter that is written to these seven churches we are told that God himself and our Lord Jesus Christ himself is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Men like God none like Jesus. This is our God and this is our Savior who brings this revelation to his servant John to give it, to write what you see John in a book and send it to the seven churches, these churches of Asia Minor. When you get to the end of the book Chapter 21 and chapter 22 all oh, there you come to the consummation of creation. There the great purposes of God are realized, purposes which center in you, the people of God, in me, as believers. And there we discover that God shall wipe away the tears from their eyes, and God shall be their God, and they shall be his people. And there is the new heavens and the new earth. So God has brought us, brought his people from the first century. In fact, all of his Old Testament saints, he has always carried us and he brings us to the end. Because he started the work of redemption. And he will finish it. And he will complete it. That's what this book of Revelation is. God is absolutely supreme in his glorious sovereignty. And as Christians, we need to trust him and lean upon him and yield to him. If the purposes of God can be frustrated for one single moment, then God is not God. And we believe there are no purposes of God that can be thwarted, not even by such a fearsome, awesome, terrifying dragon and his beast. Nothing can sway God and his purposes. No, the one thing that this book, this book of Revelation, should teach you and it should teach me is that God is in absolute control of all events events in heaven and events here on earth he controls this world and he certainly controls the next and i like that because that means my life is in the hands of this god who controls all things and so is yours and if you are a christian then all the richer all the more glorious is that control in your life and over your life if you're not a christian you're completely unaware of it and yet god has brought you and sustained you to this very moment by His power. Perhaps to hear the Gospel. Perhaps to see Jesus Christ as He is. But you know the book of Revelation which is at the end of our Bible is not the end. In fact it's not even the beginning really it is the continuity of something that God has begun already. It is just simply introducing us to the plans and the purposes of God. Paradise lost, yes, in Genesis chapter 3 but paradise regained. On a cross by a king who laid down his life in sacrifice for us the lamb that was slain on our behalf and so the beauties and the glories of an anticipated future or what we think about what what John says to the seven churches I want you to think about these things that's what Jesus is saying to them see me in my power see me in my glory that's why John, when he saw him, he fell down at his feet as though he was dead. Only to have Jesus say, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Trust me. Believe. Now, here we are, dear congregation, in the sight of God, listening to an ancient document. That is so relevant and pertinent for us as Christians. Don't forget that this is written to ordinary people in Asia Minor. Christians in those seven churches. To moms and dads and to boys and girls in the first century. Who were under a despotic dictatorship of a dragon kind like, beast kind like emperor. The emperor Nero who had no hesitation to blame Christians for anything, and then to slay them and to kill them, who took sport and delight in the death of Christians. These are the people he writes to, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And they've all got their problems, haven't they? They're all struggling to be faithful in this world, just like you and I are struggling as Christians to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Apostle John, in writing this, is on an island called Patmos, imprisoned because of the word of God and because of the testimony of Jesus. And there, on that isle of Patmos, off the west coast of Asia Minor, There Jesus gives him, God gives him, this glorious vision of what is to come. Because the time is short. And what is it that he wants them to know more about, above all other things? It is simply this. They are engaged in a great spiritual war. Each one of them. And let me say this to you, dear congregation, it doesn't matter how old you are, and it doesn't matter how young you are, if you believe in Jesus Christ, You are in a war. You're in a great spiritual war and it's a frightful war and it's a terrifying war. It is not a war per se of physical dimensions. It's not a war where you see buildings being bombed and falling down. No, it is an attack not upon your body but upon your soul. That's what these first Christians, moms and dads, boys and girls were experiencing in the first century. I mean look at chapter 12 and verse 3. It tells us about their great enemy, right? He is the great red dragon. He's still our enemy 2,000 years later. And what does he do to these seven churches? He incites war against them. He makes war with them. He did it with the male child who was about to be born in verse 5, right? Or verses 2 through 5. It says in verse 4 he stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she brought forth her child he could devour that child that's what he wanted to do so he is at war with the male child about to be delivered who is the male child but none other than our Lord Jesus Christ that was born he is the worthy lamb that came into this world and there's nothing Changed with this dragon he is at war with God he is at war with Jesus he is at war with the saints of God every day, every moment he is at war the devil does not take a rest the devil does not take a vacation he has one intent and that is to bring destruction upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and upon believers in the Lord Jesus Christ this dragon is still at war And if you haven't experienced that warfare, perhaps you are not uh, yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he uses the world, doesn't he? This is the master stroke, the masterpiece of the dragon himself. He makes use of a beast, of two beasts in chapter 13. He makes use of the world, its system. He uses all of those things to lure Christians away from the Lamb. To take them away from Christ. And so Revelation is written to these seven churches. So that they will, as you remember from last week, not do two things. That they will not, number one, compromise with the world. And number two, that they will not contaminate themselves in the world. How powerful the world is, right? So much so that this same Apostle John wrote in his first letter. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is in the world? The things in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride in what I have, my possessions. That's John who wrote that to believers, because he knows they're at war with the system, and that the world is so powerful, isn't it? I mean, that's the same for you and me this morning I was just thinking you know I grew up in the early days no television when we got the first television it was black and white how marvelous it was how spectacular it was oh but then it changed from black and white to to color oh color you can't beat color gotta have a bigger one right and of course the big one back then was like this Spectacular color in my home, right? And I remember thinking to myself, you know, that's how I grew up. There wasn't one and then there was one and we welcome it into the home and now that is like nothing compared to what you hold in your pockets, in your bags, your purses this morning. A little cell phone with far greater power. See, the world just keeps coming at you. It'll just the dragon will throw everything in your way to take your desire from Christ, to give you some other appetite that is part of who you are, to raise it up, open your eyes to it, and give you some sort of delight, which you discover is no delight at all, but brings grief and pain and guilt. So... John says to you and me, look, don't compromise. And don't contaminate yourself. That's the big lesson, right? it's easy to do, brothers and sisters, with those media devices that we have. And with our context of people we've never met, whom we call friends. And have never seen them face to face or know them. We live in this world, but we must not be of this world. What a lesson for us. So like the seven churches, you, And I, we're in a great war. We're fighting the dragon. We're fighting the beast, as it were. The major enemy we have is, verse 3, the great red dragon. He's the king of sinful men. He's the king of the world. In fact, he is so powerful, he swept one-third of heaven's angels with him in his rebellion against God. One-third. 33% of heaven out with the dragon. He just took them with him and they believed the dragon that's how powerful he is he seeks to kill the male child he's ready to kill at the birth of Jesus Herod the Great is coming to kill every child under two years of age that's the dragon's work that's the dragon he's just there to devour this male child who actually verse 5 is the one to rule all of the nations with a rod of iron who was protected by God, and of course, Mary, Joseph, and the babe Jesus went to Egypt, safe, secure. And then we discover in chapter 13, the dragon gives his authority to this terrifying beast, which by the way, you can read about in Daniel chapter 7. There in Daniel chapter 7, he is described, or Daniel is absolutely terrified of the exceeding great beast, the fourth beast, this beast of Revelation 13. Satan makes war, can you believe it? In heaven. In heaven! There was war at one time. Michael, the great archangel, verses 7 through 9. Who, who fights against the dragon and defeats the dragon and casts forth the dragon out of heaven and so what does he do now that he's cast out of heaven he pursues the woman who is not Mary was a Mary initially but the woman of the male child is he pursuing the church the offspring of the woman this is the devil's rage in the first century and this is the devil's rage this morning against you and against me, and sometimes we blithely go about our daily work not really paying attention to the great spiritual cosmic war that we're all engaged in. The dragon has gone to war and he fights against every believer, against every Christian. He fights the male child. He fights the woman about to give birth. He wages war against heaven in heaven. He has gone to war then against the offspring. You and me. He is our enemy. And who are these offspring particularly? They are the people who hold to the commandments of God. The word of God. And who keep the testimony of Jesus. Who keep the testimony. What is the testimony of Jesus? Do you know that six times in this book, the book of Revelation, that phrase, the testimony of Jesus, occurs? Six times. What does it all mean? It simply means you bear witness of Jesus, you bear witness for Jesus. And John applies that to himself back in chapter 1, twice in verse 2 and verse 9 that he was on the isle of patmos because of the word of god and because of the testimony of jesus revelation 12:17 right here tells us the dragon became furious with the woman went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of jesus and hold to the tes- commandments of god and hold to the testimony of jesus you find it at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, where the angel tells John, remember how John falls down to him, worships the angel. And the angel says, no, 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 don't worship me, worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we understand that what that means is that every servant of the Lord Jesus Christ has an obligation to bear witness to and for Jesus. Because isn't that what a prophet does? The prophet testifies about God and what God has revealed to him every Christian is a servant of Christ and we must testify hold to the testimony of Jesus I have an obligation as a minister of the gospel to hold to the testimony of Jesus to keep it to treasure it to hold on to it for dear life to value it above all things and to cast myself away as nothing in comparison to Jesus that's what the servant does he is there to be used by the king by the Lord himself there's no room here for any Christian to self glory in their accomplishments there's no room for self aggrandizement there's no room for lifting yourself up and boasting about yourself if you're going to boast then boast in the Lord, as Paul says. Let's do that. To those who testify, who bear witness to the testimony of Jesus, they are the servants of Christ. What does a servant of Christ expect? I expect war with the dragon. In fact, I experience war with the dragon. Frightful war, painful war terrifying war. It's an assault on my spiritual life, on my soul. I'm sure it is on yours. You see, the reality of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us through regeneration is that each one of us will wage war against the flesh. It's the spirit versus the flesh and the flesh versus the spirit. And that, Revelation chapter 20, such a difficult passage, right? On the millennial millennium. Such a hard passage on the thousand years. It describes the souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. First century saints beheaded for Jesus. You see, the, the testimony of Jesus brings you suffering, brings you persecution. It might bring you death. It may do that because this is war. And the dragon makes war. Now listen, dear congregation. Some of these seven churches, they were compromising. They even had the dragon's influence within the church. Jesus warns them. He doesn't commend them. He condemns them for those kinds of things. In fact, if you do compromise, the devil really does not trouble by you anymore. Because you've given in and because you've yielded to him. And so why would the devil make war on anyone then who compromises him or compromises the gospel? He wouldn't. You're in his camp. You've moved over. If you've ever read the Holy War by John Bunyan, you get a sense of these kinds of things in the great war between Prince Emmanuel and that apocalyptic deceiver, Satan himself. Compromise for a Christian has fearful consequences. I mean, think of Samson, right? Samson compromised, lost his testimony, lost his influence, lost his power, lost the presence of God because he compromised. Or think of David, who contaminated himself, right? And the consequences that flowed from that action in his life and the lives of others beyond. It is one of the dragon's biggest weapons to get you to compromise the gospel, what you believe. If he can get you to compromise, he worries none. Has no worries. Ah, you know, spiritual compromise is like being in a desert, isn't it? It's like being like Israel. Where is the water? None. None to be found. The wells are dry. It's a hot place. It's a barren place. No fertile grass that you can take refreshment from. Nothing. Compromise brings banishment, brings tragedy. And it'll lead you to be a hypocrite and it'll lead you to deny, perhaps ultimately, the gospel. This dragon. He's going to throw everything at Jesus. He's going to throw everything at the church, the offspring of the woman. He never relents. He never gives up. He wants you to compromise and he wants you to contaminate yourself. That's what he wanted for Ephesus, for Smyrna, and Pergamum, and Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, in the first century. That's what he wanted and he was winning he was winning so Jesus comes along and he says to John now I want you to write this letter that is designed to help my people and tell them what I think about them compromising contaminating themselves write to them John notice how how God protects his people I mean look at verse 6 the woman who fled into the wilderness the child caught up to God and his throne where, the, where she has a place, verse 6, prepared by God to be nourished for 1260 days. What is this wilderness? Oh, this wilderness is this world. That's where the church is. We're here on earth and the wilderness experience is, is, the, is what we experience in the world. This is not my home. This is, this is a place I'm just passing through. My home is that eternal city to come. That's what I'm looking for, right? Like Abraham, the city whose builder is God himself. That's what we're doing. And there, like Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, cared for, looked after for by God in the wilderness, so too the people of God are cared for by God. Isn't that a marvelous thing to think about? That God cares for you in the midst of your warfare that God protects you in the midst of your warfare. If God were to take his hands off you, you perish in the blink of an eye. But here you are, living, breathing, talking, working, and it's God who keeps us alive, his people, to do such things. What is this 1260 days? Oh, these days, of course, people untold, misery. What do they mean? What do you mean, John? What is it? I mean, you can see for instance in uh, in, chapter 12 13 and 14, when the dragon saw he had been thrown to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. And that, of course, is just simply three and a half years, which is also 1260 days, which you get from verse 6. Or if you look at chapter 13 and verse 5, and the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years, which is a time, times and a half a time, 1260 days. So the the same time frame just goes throughout this chapter, these chapters the wilderness is the world and the world is fallen and rebellious and hostile to God and hostile to his word and there in the midst of the world there is you and there is me and is God who nourishes and who cares for the offspring of the woman who takes care of them You will notice that war in Revelation 12 is from two perspectives. For instance, in verses 1 through 6, it is war on earth. Catastrophic in its scope, right? If you look at verse 11, they conquered him, that's the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. Jesus said, if you love your life more than me, you are not worthy to be my disciple. They were prepared already, first century, to lay down their lives even unto death, to not compromise and to not contaminate. War on earth. War on earth. Notice in verse 7 through 12, it's war in heaven, isn't it? Cosmic in scope. Cosmic in scope. And the armies of heaven are led by this incredible archangel, Michael, whom Daniel mentions. And he fights the dragon, and he fights the angels of the dragon. And that, of course, is a picture of the great rebellion of Satan himself against Christ, against God, in heaven. But the good question to ask is, well, when did this war take place that John's talking about? Ah, It took place in eternity. And it took place in the Garden of Eden. And it took place throughout the entire history of the Old Testament. And it took place right there as the birth of Jesus is taking place. And it climaxes at the cross. Satan is just against, against, against until the cross, right? And there he kills the lamb slain, I've got him but it's only for three days because on the third day the lamb comes forth the lion of the tribe of Judah he has conquered this is Jesus, right? So, victory for the dragon is short lived. He's the ancient serpent, verse 9. He's the devil, he's Satan, he's the deceiver of the whole world. So, from the days of Eden in the garden, he has been making war. And, dear congregation, he's making war right now. Right now. It was the incarnation, the birth of the male child that produced the greatest hatred of the dragon that he could vent against what God had done. Mary herself is preserved from that violence, the violence of Herod as I've said. But the dragon pursues the seed of the woman. He continues to haunt and hunt every Christian. Because he hates the lamb the life of Jesus to the cross Satan is against him and the life of Jesus after the cross in the lives of his saints is Satan the dragon against them but you know the great thing he's already defeated isn't he this great dragon against us he's already lost the war Though he makes war, his expulsion from heaven, of course, is directly related to the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. In fact, when Jesus sent out, you remember, those disciples and he told them to go out there and cast out demons and heal the sick and all of that. And they went and they did that. When they came back and told Jesus that they cast out demons, Jesus says, I see Satan falling from heaven like lightning. He's defeated. Even my disciples can defeat the demons of Satan. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that the incarnation of Jesus did two things with regard to Satan. Number one, Hebrews 2 verse 14, it was to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Number 2, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15, it was to deliver all those who through fear of, li- of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So what did Jesus do in his redemption and his work on the cross? Destroyed Satan and his works and he delivered his people from their fear of death. Let us not think for a moment that God is not at work. He has been at work from eternity. And his work has just been worked out unto eternity. It was on the cross then that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers, right? And his resurrection and his ascension were the vindication of that. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Well, that happens sometimes. That is an earthly war. But our real war is not with flesh and blood but against rulers and powers and this cosmic warfare that's going on in this present darkness. That's our warfare. That's the dragon. That's the beast. And look at the result in the response of Jesus, what he has done in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Salvation is unassailable. Satan can do nothing against salvation cannot take it from you because Jesus holds it because he's the savior he cannot remove it he can only attack you cause you some difficulties try to make you compromise lead you into sin whatever it is and the dragon verse 11 is overcome by the blood of the lamb the saints God's people they conquer not by their strength but always and only by the blood of the lamb of the Lamb. This is how we accomplish it through our witness, right? He says, by the word of their testimony. That's how they conquered, by the word of their testimony. Let heaven rejoice, John says, verse 12, in this victory the dragon is cast forth and now he roams the earth and the sea in rage. Now what a place to live in, right? This world. That's where you are. That's where I am. And Satan, the dragon, operates in great wrath, verse 12. He roars like a lion in a cage. Doesn't Peter tell us that? That the devil is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He's in great rage against us. He seeks to devour us, but his time is short. 1260 days or well, thereabouts, it would appear. Who can bring any charge against the elect of God? No one. Why? Because it is God who justifies. And how does God justify? Because of Jesus and his death on the cross. You no, know, Satan's doom is sealed, and your salvation is sure. Ah, there's no reason to doubt your salvation. There's no reason to lack assurance when you read this. Of what the lamb has done for us and so I work and I live my life knowing that out there is the dragon and he's waging war but he has another emissary doesn't he in chapter 13 he has this beast that he enlists this is the beast from chapter 11 verse 7 who comes out of the bottomless pit and here he is in Revelation 13, the Bible says he rises out of the sea. What does it mean to rise out of the sea? That's simply a picture of coming out of humanity. He's a monster, isn't he? Seven heads, ten horns, like the dragon. Same authority, because the dragon gives him authority. The whole world, verse 3 of chapter 13, follows the beast. And the dragon, for 42 months, gives him authority, verse 4. And he makes war, in verse 7. He blasphemes God. God he, he wages war against the people of God he kills them, he conquers them he's worshipped by the world he's anti-God, anti-Christ anti-church the bride of Christ and you know there have been beasts in this world there's perhaps a beast around today lots of beasts sometimes we want to nail down the identity of this beast and call him anti-Christ But the Bible never does that. In fact, John says, there have been many antichrists. There have been many antichrists. They are all infested, infected by the dragon and his authority. And here is a system, here is a a world uh, that is taken up, captured, it would appear, by the allure of the beast. So much so that we worship him, or people worship the beast ah the world loves the beast because he is of the world and he is not of god and he is not of christ so okay john this is all quite heavy stuff what do you recommend for me this morning well look what he recommends look at verse verse 10 of chapter 13 at the end here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints that's what he says so here in chapter 12, chapter 13 this cosmic picture of war of spiritual war that I'm in, he says John, you can overcome that and I'm going to tell you how, he says by believing and by persevering in the blood of the Lamb that's the same as holding to the word of God or the commandments of God that's the same as keeping the testimony of Jesus do you want to know what you must do when all around you is falling to pieces in the world? Hold on. Hold on to Jesus. Believe his word. Hold on to Christ. Latch on to him. He saves. He keeps. He's a sure and a steady anchor, isn't he? He's our foundation. He's our rock. He's our Redeemer. Put your whole life on him. Cast yourself upon him. He protects his people. He loves his people. He cares for his people. We conquer by the blood of the Lamb. So, we're in it. We're in this world, and we are waging war. And John says, this is a call for you to endure as a Christian, to keep on, to press on, to persevere. This is a call for faith. Didn't you begin your Christian life by profession, by a confession of faith? I believe, I believe the gospel I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ John says you did that now keep on hold to the testimony of Jesus in the world you go to work tomorrow you face your company you live in this world you are faced by vile people who say terrible things bad language all of those kinds of things you live in the world you feel it what does John say to you? hold on endure endure persevere, keep believing, keep standing strong in the Lamb, in Christ himself. Do it until the end. Do it until the end. Let me tell you something, dear congregation. The world is not going to change. In fact, the world might get even worse. It's terrible. It's a great enemy. It might get worse. Same thing. Endure and believe. Endure, whatever's coming your way, like the Smyrna Christians, like the Philadelphia Christians, those two churches out of the seven, who are not condemned by Jesus. Oh, what marvelous pictures they must have been, right? But Jesus can only find things in them for him to commend them. And there they are. Some of you will suffer tribulation for ten days, for a short time, he says. Your life is safe. Your life is secure. If you lose your life in this world, you have life everlasting to come. Because this world is not our home, right? So hold on to the commandments of God. Hold on to the word of God. Keep the testimony of Jesus by your obedience and by your confession of faith. And I close now with three things. Number one, let us resist this dragon let us resist him let us be firm in the faith because he seeks to devour us resist him, being firm fixed in your faith First Peter 5 verse 9 that's the first thing, resist resist the spiritual onslaughts, second let us go to the Lamb let us go to the Lamb and take his strength because he will always conquer for us because we're in him We conquer through his blood. That's verse 11 of chapter 12. Why should I go to the Lamb? Because he loved me and he loosed me from my sins. He has washed me. He washes us clean by his blood that he shed on the cross. Right? Let's go to the Lamb. Number three. Let's keep on fighting all of our spiritual enemies by enduring by persevering and by believing to the end Satan is at war and we are at war but thank God Jesus has conquered and therefore we shall conquer in him let's pray together Father how we thank you for your word which paints this very hard picture for us to hold on to. And Father, we have just generally looked at broadly these verses this morning. There's so much more that can be said about them. But all John wants these dear saints so long ago to do and us to do is to endure and to believe. It's a call for endurance and faith. Help us, we pray, this morning to endure the war that comes against us every day and to do it by faith, by confessing our love and allegiance, our loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. We conquer by the Lamb and because he shed his blood for us. Oh, how we thank you that we have been washed and redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb slain as it were from before the foundation of the world thank you Father for the Lord Jesus Christ thank you for the gospel that brings such hope and such life and such light to us oh help us to rejoice this morning in Jesus our King let us not compromise ourselves and contaminate ourselves in this world but let's be enduring and believing Praise you and thank you for your word. Ask your blessing upon it now to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.